Welcome to An Eye for Business. Exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. Brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Hello and welcome to this, the third episode of An Eye for Business, part of the Entrepreneurial Mindset series. This podcast is brought to you as part of the An Eye to the Future project of Blind Citizens Australia in conjunction with Vision Australia. And as part of the series, we'll be featuring about 12 stories of people who are blind or vision impaired who are running their own business. This week, we feature Amanda Heal. Amanda was a participant in the second webinar series of the Entrepreneurial Mindset program. Amanda is a keynote speaker and author. Amanda, thanks for joining us on uh, An Eye for Business. Thank you for having me. Let's find out more about you. Um, obviously, you run your own business and have done for some time, but let's talk about how you got started. Where did you grow up and uh, where did you go to school, etc.? Well, okay, I was born in 1970 and I was uh, very premmy. I was uh, born at 26 weeks and so and given too much oxygen at birth so now i have retinopathy of prematurity or retrolental fibroplasia as it was called back then and so i was born in sydney but my parents uh, moved to canberra my dad was in the army and so he was given a choice of two postings one to singapore and one to canberra and for years i used to say oh god why didn't you pick singapore <laughs> i could have been bilingual but they didn't want to take a tiny still very small baby to Singapore. So they picked Canberra. And my parents got together with a, a small group of other parents um, and lobbied the government because they didn't want their children sent to Sydney or Melbourne for their education to the blind schools. And so they lobbied the government. And so I was in the first group of blind students who were fully integrated into the ACT school system. So um, I have never had the benefits, I suppose, of of the um, blind school system, but I guess I haven't had any of the disadvantages either. And has you know been grown up and educated amongst sighted sighted kids, um, and so I finished high school. I went to wanted to be wanted to be a physiotherapist because I'd done that as work experience in a couple of times during high school and loved it and the only place they could would could or could train me back then was the North London School of Physiotherapy because this was pre-disability discrimination legislation and um, they when I approached the schools in Australia they threw up their hands and went oh good grief you know how can we possibly train you you're blind uh, and then so I went to London and I did the first 18 weeks of the course and they said, oh, you can't, you, you can't possibly be a physio. You've got spatial awareness problems. And I kind of went, well, what are they? Um, and really the only way it practically affects me now is I don't carry bowls of soup or anything on trays because um, I find it hard to hold things level. But And I get a little bit disorientated in open spaces. But really it was kind of silly because most blind physios go into private practice and do backs, necks and knees anyway and they don't run hydrotherapy classes or classes in big gyms which were the two things they said that I couldn't do. Mm. Um, but anyway that's okay. I had enrolled in commerce and deferred for a year 
just in case. And didn't know anything about commerce, thought it had something to do with numbers and I liked maths and so that would do. And I wasn't going to do it anyway, I thought. So I came back to Australia and started my commerce degree and um, in the second year I did introductory business law, which I absolutely loved. And I remember that my aunt, my English aunt had said to me a couple of years before when I'd been crying in her lounge room going, what are we going to do? I wanted to be a physio. And she said to me, well, you've got a good brain. Why don't you be a lawyer? And so I went to the law school and hassled the dean until he said, well, no, you can't switch to a straight law degree. We don't like people doing that. We want you to do a combined degree. So I did a combined commerce law degree. And then I worked as a government lawyer for 17 years. And then I was suddenly made redundant in 2014 due to government downsizing. And um, it was funny because people, just before the redundancy, people used to say to me, oh, are you afraid of losing your job? Because all these departments were being cut. And I went, no, of course not. I'm a legislative <laughs> drafter. The government always needs those. Um, I'm blind. I'm a union delegate. I'm a woman. They wouldn't dare. But they did. They did yeah. dare. So Famous yeah, last so. words. <laughs> so you were made redundant, I think you said, in 2014. And at that time, you started your own business. But that's not the business that you're running now. Tell us about your business journey and how you got started running your own business and how you got to where you are now. Well, when I found out, I found out I was going to be made redundant on the 22nd of December. I mean, oh, wow. happy Christmas, yeah, really. Nice Christmas That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And round about the same time, a friend of mine invited me to attend her business launch. And I thought, what's that? So I felt like some champagne and sympathy. And so I decided I would go. And I did get lots of champagne and sympathy and heard about her business launch, which was selling Arbon skincare through network marketing. And I'd done Tupperware before, needed, wanted a challenge when I didn't quite have enough work to do at work. So I wanted a bit of a challenge. And so I sold Tupperware for a while and that was fun. Um, not easy, mind you. It's really hard as a blind person traveling to strangers' houses and doing stuff, you know, cooking in their kitchens and setting up displays on their coffee tables and, you know, not falling over things and whatnot. But, you know, that's okay. I, I did Tupperware for a while and that was fun. And so I thought, oh, Arbon, great. You don't even have to pack stuff. That'll be wonderful. You just put in the orders and they get shipped to the person's house and that's great. So I decided I would, I would do that. And um, because I, I really didn't know what I was going to do, there was a job freeze on, um, there were no jobs out there. I had one interview and didn't come to anything. So I, as I, as I say in my talks, I jumped into Arbonne like a woman desperately trying to run away from her past and realised pretty quickly that people won't buy stuff from you, even if you think they should. And um, so I also learned very quickly that it's okay not to do things all on your own because I felt that as a blind Arbonne uh, consultant and I was the only one that I knew of, that I had to do this all on my own and I had to work out ways of doing things on my own and if I didn't, that wasn't okay, which is crazy because as, as we all know, when we were on businesses, there are things that you actually can't do on your own or it will take 10 times as long if you can. And it's so much quicker to either pay someone if you have the money 
or just ask for help. I mean, hell, there's plenty of people out there who who will help click a button or, I mean, now, of course, there's, there's IRA um, that will do kind of things like that for free or for very little cost. And so my Arbonne journey wasn't a fun one, but throughout that, I that did lots of personal growth using the material of John C. Maxwell, who's a leadership and personal development um, specialist in America. And uh, we used to do lots of masterminds where we'd read books and we'd talk about it every week And because um, you can't lead a team until you can lead yourself, as I another lesson learned. And so then in... 2015, I went to the Arbonne Australia conference because I thought, sure, I could learn something there about how to make people buy things. And um, so I went there and someone was guiding me and it was raining and it was cold in Melbourne. It was just a horrible night and we're going to a cocktail party and um, I hadn't had anything to drink except a cup of tea, I swear. And I'm all in my, you know, pretty clothes and Someone took me too close to a corner, going around the corner, and my right foot fell off the curb and I fell on my left knee and ruptured my quadriceps tendon. So, so I spent 10 weeks in a splint from my hip to my ankle, sitting on my parents' couch because I couldn't look after myself, and um, decided that I needed to do something else. And just that very afternoon, my friend rang and said, would you like to retrain as a John C. Maxwell speaker, trainer and coach? And I thought, oh, speaker, I can speak underwater. Yes, why not? <laughs> That's easy. So um, did all the online training, which was wonderfully accessible, and then went over to the US with my friend for a week, got my certification, uh, went to NASA, did all sorts of really cool things um, and came back and started coaching. And that was wasn't actually too bad because I did all that over the phone and uh, that was that was good got a bit of resistance from people because they wanted to use zoom and I said no and then a couple of years down the track had a couple of clients but not too many and worked with a coach and started to wonder whether I needed to expand and perhaps maybe I should look again at this speaker thing and so I decided that, well, sorry, let me backtrack a bit. I'd always thought that I had been put on this earth for a purpose. On my 27th birthday, I'm sitting like back in 1997, sitting there thinking, why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. I asked all my friends. They didn't know. My colleagues didn't know. Read a few books on purpose and that didn't help. Um, so I forgot about it until sort of, 2017 and I'm sort of thinking well why am I here again coaching isn't working um I know that I've been put here for a reason and I was started to think from things that people were saying to me and and such that perhaps my life's purpose was to inspire and encourage others and that had sort of been popping up through through you know, since I've been made redundant, that sort of kept kind of popping up that and speaking and different things. And I, at one point I kind of lay on my bed and kind of went back through this, through a journey back through my life and things kept jumping out at me and there was a bit of a pattern. And so I thought, right, okay, um, that's good. I know what my life's purpose is. Now what do I do? So I'm on a cruise ship and I bump into a speaker and I say, well, how did you get started as a speaker? And she went, well, no one will take you seriously unless you write a book. 
So I went, oh, all right then, I'll write a book. I'll write a book on how I discovered my life's purpose and how other people can discover theirs. So I did. And I call that my baby book because it was only 85 pages long and it was a paperback and it really wasn't very good. Um, and I sold about 50 copies of that and that was about it. And so still couldn't seem to get started as a speaker and was fiddling around kind of coaching and trying to sell my book and stuff. And then in 2020, I went to a Christian Women in Business conference. And don't worry, I'm not going to get too spiritual on you. But I was sitting in the conference and I heard an almost audible, audible voice say, stop messing around and speak like I told you to. And I sort of went, oh, okay. <laughs> and then the next day we had people were speaking prophecies over our lives. And someone said to me that when I speak, fear will flee in all directions like light bouncing off the facets of a diamond. And it's like, oh my gosh, the two together, two days in a row. Um, I don't think I should be arguing with that. I better take some notice. Then COVID hits and everything's locked down. It's like, well, I can't become a speaker now because all the speaking industry is completely shut down. What will I do? I'll write a book about courage. And then I bumped into a book coach. He said, don't write a book on courage, rewrite the baby book. And so now the baby book has been rewritten and it's now 250 page hardback with exercises that people can do. And um, it's and stories about other people and how they discovered their purpose and clients that I've coached and stuff. So it's a much better book. And um, then I started working with some speaker coaches and now I've developed my 45 minute keynote on how to increase resilience and overcome uncertainty by building your courage. So to bring it down to brass tacks, what do you call yourself and what do you call your business? I help business leaders and their teams overcome uncertainty and increase resilience by building their courage. And I, I am a, describe myself as an author and keynote speaker. I'm really interested in, in your approach to that because uh, you've, you've clearly come from um, a law background and a background in, in commerce as well as, uh, you know, having started physiotherapy. It's really interesting how you've, how you've got to that point. And I think you've described it really well. When you were thinking about the, the final stage, I guess, or what you're doing now, did you encounter any negativity or any attitudes because of your blindness? At this end of my journey, no, not at all. I mean, there's heaps of people out there who are, you know, Paralympians. And um, I know of a blind speaker who, you know, many years ago, um, Chad Towns, who's since passed away, um, had no idea what motivational speaking was. And when he was when he was um, said he was a keynote speaker, I thought to myself, well, why don't you get a real job? But but now I know how much it takes to become a really good keynote speaker who opens big conferences and things. And that's what I actually want to do. The only, I, I guess, obstacles I've come across have been how do you make yourself look good on camera? And I've um, worked out those. And also 
you can't just stand still on stage. You actually have to move around a bit, use your hands, um, kind of almost act things out a little bit. So I've been working with some really good coaches on that. Um, and I'd love to do some work with Louise Marlowe, who's a, um, she used to be an opera singer and whenever she speaks, she sounds like she's going to burst into song, which she does occasionally. Um, but she's a body language coach. So I'd love to do some, when I actually end starting some money and can afford to do so, would love to do some work with her on how I can better use my hands and, um, I guess look more, or I guess be more interesting to look at i should say i was going to say look more like a sighted person but then i changed my mind yeah that's where my brain was going to and i encountered this myself mm. recently i did a tv piece and the guy who was doing the filming said well can you give me some body language and i said mm. well what do you mean i've just been standing here sort of looking at you and talking because that's what i do i mean i've, I've spent 25 yeah. years in radio i know how to talk to people right so <laughs> um and and he said well you know move your hands about you know and illustrate your point and i said but i don't know what that looks like what that mm. means to actually do that and i think mm. um you know it's interesting that you you bring that up in the context of of being a speaker because you do have to have a stage presence what i've done is um i tell a couple of stories i tell story i tell a story about driving in a car and i tell a story about being at a, at a job interview and i tell a story about being on a bus and what i've done is i get two chairs on stage and I put them side by side and when I'm being the sighted passenger giving me directions I sit in the left hand chair and look to the right and go look where you're going when you're driving and then I slide across to the right chair and look to the left and go why that's my job I'm you I'm blind and that um, the sighted people seem to really like that. I've asked a few people and they've said it actually looks good. And when I did my virtual keynote that I did uh, last week online, I've got a standing desk and I've got a backdrop behind me, just to give you a super quick studio tour. Got a um, backdrop behind me, blue backdrop, which covers the rest of the messy room. And I've got a standing desk and I have a piece of tape in front of the standing desk. So when I stand in front of the tape, with that in line with my belly button, I'm right in the center of frame. And when I'm looking to the left and, you know, being the, the driver, I step to the right until my hip hits the side desk and look off at 45 degrees. And that's how I um, do my um, positioning and movement. And mm. people seem to think it looks all right. Yeah, we were taught that sort of thing in stagecraft, and I, I did work out mm. um, ways of doing that sort of thing. But it's it's things like you don't think about as a blind person unless someone points it out. Like, for example, exactly um, when a sighted person is speaking to an audience, and it's different when you're online because you are looking to camera. Mm. But when you're um, speaking to an audience, you don't just stand and look at one spot. You move your, your head around and you, you look at the people on the left and the people at the right. And if yep. you've got people in the gallery, you look up at them and, you mm. know, you, I, I guess, ideally you would make eye contact. And part of me thinks, well, if I do that and then I'm not making eye contact, that's going to seem really weird. It's going to seem quite mm. fake and, um, you know, pretty pointless. So what mm. you're, what you're doing there is effectively doing 
exactly that, but you're making that part of your presentation, which, mm. Um, mm. you know, which is a really interesting approach to it. I mean, yeah. you have to learn hand gestures and, you know, like pointing your finger. Well, don't do that, you know, sort of wagging yeah. your finger at people. You have to learn those gestures and they do become natural after a while. In fact, I was talking to someone about this on another podcast, um, Elise Lonsdale's podcast, and someone asked me, which I'd never been asked before, how um, I look, how I look less blind, what, you know, how, how I can improve the way I look. And I was very lucky to have older parents who didn't literally beat it out of me, but, you know, figuratively beat those things out of me. So I don't rock. I don't put my fist in my eye anymore, which I used to when I was little. Um, I don't sort of wave my head around like I used to when I was little. Um, they were very, very strong on stand up straight and hold your head up and, you know, look at people, you know, point your nose at who you're talking to. And I'm so grateful for that. I hated it when I was a child, but gosh, I'm so grateful for it now. I did get a lot of flack at the beginning of my, um, beginning of my network marketing journey because people were saying things like, how are you going to get to other people's houses? How, how do you expect to demonstrate makeup use to people when you don't wear it yourself? And how are you going to tell people or how to color match their foundation? Um, so yeah, I, I did get a bit of flack um, at the beginning. Uh, but you know, some of those things I worked around, I encouraged people to come to my house instead of me going to theirs. I learnt how um, apparently you match colour foundation to the side of your hand, apparently. Oh, okay. um, and, you know, I just used to put the makeup out and say, have at it. And people used to, you know, they didn't really need a lot of help. They just did it themselves and they helped each other and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I did get a bit of flack from that end of my journey, but not so much from the speaker end. Yeah, it's interesting because it's easy to see why people may have had some concerns about um, selling skincare products. Um, mm. But, you know, they don't recognize the fact that presumably as a woman and uh, as an individual, you've been using products like that for some considerable time in some mm. form or other. So you've got your own methods of, of dealing with these issues. It, it sort of boggles my mind to think, how do they think that you've survived all of these, this length of time? Certainly, um, I can see that the travel is, um, you know, could potentially be a problem because you'd be visiting lots of people's houses, and I think they are really mm. good solutions. What about managing the paperwork and the, the bookkeeping and things like that? How did you manage with that? Uh, with Tupperware, it was all actually, yeah, Tupperware was hard because you had to get people to fill in order forms and that sort of thing. Arbonne was so much easier because I would just write down the the person's orders on a braille device or a laptop and then I would just put the orders in online. That wasn't so hard. The website, the Arbonne and Tupperware websites went through various iterations of usability. Some were more usable than others. Uh, and then they had apps which were not usable at all and then they became more so. And yeah, so that, that was interesting I tried to make I was a little bit before my time I tried to make everything as electronic as I could mm. and even thought about getting customers to putting in put in their own orders on an iPad I even thought about that um so yeah mm. 
Did you find that uh, there was assistance that you required running your business? Uh, and even now, I guess, there's assistance that you require that other people may not. And how have you managed with with uh, getting hold of that appropriate assistance? Well, I built my own website with a help of a friend. There was a one, there's a wonderful guy, a um, couple of wonderful guys in the US, Demasi Thomas and Michael Babcock, and they have, they're both totally blind and they've both taught me everything I know about WordPress. And so I started off with a very basic blog site. And then when I decided I needed a web page, I had a sighted person tell me how to, how to do things. And she, she got in and did, you know, some, a little bit of sort of color fixing up colors and things like that. And that still makes my brain hurt. I hate it when people go, oh, so you know what, how, how, what, what sort of graphics do you want? How, how, what's the feel that you want? And what sort of color? And it's like, oh God, I don't know. I just, you know, um, but I had a, a wonderful discussion with a graphic designer who helped me design my latest speaker logo, who unfortunately everyone thinks it looks like a, um, a medical company, but the way he described it to me, I like it. And so I've stuck with it and, you know, whatever. But yeah, so um, Ira has been an absolute game changer. It's so good to uh, call Ira using the Ira desktop app, which I love, and go, so tell me, what can you see? Am I in the center of frame and is this movement okay? And is this graphic showing up and have I got my head in the way? And that's just been a game changer. I, I love, love, love Ira. Um, and if I'm using a, a website, which I can't um, find a button to click on to order something or fix something, they just come in with TeamViewer and click it for me. And, oh, my stress levels have gone like way down. It's great. Yeah. Beats, I mean, <laughs> It beats calling my almost 90-year-old mum to go, can you click this button for me? Um, now she's moved house and she lives right over the back fence, so she comes and clicks buttons for me and I go and put pictures up for her. So um, we kind of, we're a bit of a team <laughs> now. And it's interesting, you said that your current business iteration uh, really fulfills your life's purpose. Do you think mm. from a financial perspective it's been worth it for you running your own business? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. I had been running at the first year I, I ran at a $30,000 loss. And I think last year was 15 and I think this year is going to be like 12. So, um, no, the outlays have been massive. And I think it's because I've just been refining and working out what I'm going to do. I mean, when the speaker industry opens up properly and I start getting proper paid work, I think it will very definitely be worth it. But mentally, yes, I'm, I gave a keynote last week and I, which I wasn't paid for, which is okay. And I had the honor, the huge honor of being invited to be the guest speaker at, at a women's event at my own church yesterday, um, which is, for me, it was just a massive honour. And I woke up this morning and I thought, gosh, I'm so happy. Mm. I'm happier now than I have been in ages, years. I'm happier than I've ever been. It's interesting. So many people say that. So many people, you know, that's part of their story. What advice would you give to people who are thinking about starting up their own business or perhaps even thinking about becoming um, professional public speakers? 
ask for help. Don't be, don't be too proud because it is pride. I mean, of course we like to be independent and of course we like to do as much as we can on our own and as it should be. But there, there comes a time where it's vital to ask for help because if you don't ask for help, you won't get anywhere and you'll just waste heaps of time and you'll become really stressed and angry and whatnot. So, but be strategic in when you ask for help and who find the right people. We don't just throw money at something and hope that it will work because it doesn't always. Um, I think that's the main one from a blindness perspective. I mean, I could sit here and give lots of, um, you know, general business advice, you know, get your vision clear and, and um, beware of shiny object syndrome and don't <laughs> try and take shortcuts, which I did a lot. Waste a lot of money doing that too. Um, oh, if I buy this thing, it'll, it'll make my website look prettier and, you know. Um, the best equipment is what you have right now. You don't have to go off and buy a... $500 microphone and a $500 mixer as I have this year because I've decided it was time and I wanted one and if you know you might have other views but I think it make, actually makes me sound okay but I started off a, my podcast my the first podcast I had with my Apple earbuds and my phone standing in my wardrobe facing into my jackets um, to, to, to give me the best sound I could get. So the best equipment you have is now is, is what you have right now. Um, don't give up. Don't give up. It's, it's, it's hard. It's a long journey. It's hard and it can take, you know, two, three, five, ten years until you actually become successful. But don't give up because if that's your thing, if that's your dream, if that's, what you've been put on this earth to do, then that's what you've got to do. Um, ask other blind business owners for help because we've often done the hard yards and we've found the accessible software or the, or the you know best equipment or the the mixer that has nice pressable buttons on it instead of you know display screens and nice knobs um, like my Focusrite mixer. I can get my microphone levels right by pressing a button and talking for 10 seconds and it fixes them, sets them for me, my gain, my gain levels. Um, you know, learning things like putting a, a piece of tape on your, on your desk so that when you stand in front of it, you do look okay on camera. And, you know, we've, we've, those of us who've, who've done the hard yards have often got little tips like that. So surround yourself with people who will build you up, who will not pull you down because that is vital. Running a business is a lonely business, particularly if you're a sole trader and you really need people, whether they be blind people or sighted people who get you, who get understand what it is that you're trying to do and who will build you up and encourage you rather than go, oh, you know, is that really a good idea? You know, isn't it better staying with your nine to five where you get a regular salary and blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they trying to protect you because they love you, but you know, they could also be pulling you down as well. I think that's a really good point, and I think uh, you're absolutely right. Ask for help if you can find a mentor or a coach. Uh, can mm. be a really useful, uh, useful thing to do. And of course, uh, as you did, reading information, gaining information either online or from books is uh, is also yeah. really useful. And it doesn't have to be a super expensive, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of dollars coach either. I mean, that's why I'm on this podcast because I I love to, because so many blind people have put into my life and helped me with stuff. I would love to do the same and give back. And that's the that's the other thing that seems to have come out quite a lot uh, that seems to be important to people is that you get out of your business what you're prepared to put into it and, and you get out of your clients and your the people around you what you're prepared to put in. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some people have told me that it's, it's by um, giving back to their community, um, you know, even providing some of their resources and their services for free that gives them the most reward um, yes. and reaps the most reward both financially and emotionally. Amanda, it's been great to hear about your business and to hear more about you. Thanks for being a part of the program. And uh, you are, of course, featured on the second of the webinars. I am. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that. And if you would like to know more about Amanda and her work, you can have a look at her website, amandaheal.com.au. If you'd like to know more about this program or the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, contact Blind Citizens Australia on 1800 033 660. 1800 033 660. Or email bca at bca.org.au. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for your company for this program. I'll be back again next week with another episode of An Eye for Business. You have been listening to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. This is a series of programmes brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Join us again next week.